Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Kevin, Kevin, I believe you just had a delivery at your door. What was it? I did have a delivery at my door, and it looks like it's a package from Chili Piper. <laughs> the first sponsors of the B2B playbook have finally <laughs> sent us <laughs> sent us some kit or uh, payment, I guess, uh, <laughs> for talking about their brand. How wonderful. Should we do a, um, an unboxing to kick things off, Kev? What do you got? Uh, let me have a look. Did you get a note? I got a note in mine. I did. I did. I got a very nice handwritten note here. Yeah. Oh, what does yours say? I wonder if it says the same thing. Hey, Kevin, we thought you'd look cool in some chili swag. Keep up the good work. Stay spicy. The Chili Piper team. Interesting. Mine is slightly different. So points for personalization to whoever points put together the note. I would have been lazier and probably just written the same thing on both cards. <laughs> oh, very nice hat. That's a good hat. Yeah, That's I got a one really too. good hat. Let's see, can you can you wear a hat and headphones? Does that work? Uh, I've tried before, it's not too bad. Am I a hat guy? What do you think? Do I look like a hat guy? Does that work? Leave it up to our LinkedIn members to judge that. <laughs> I don't, my dad does this thing literally every time, even if he hasn't, even if dad hasn't purchased the hat, 
At some point, he obviously thought the cool thing to do or was taught that the cool thing to do when he was at school was you have the brim of your cap kind of like more bent. So it's like a, a steeper circle or would that be more concave, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, more, more and more spherical circle and he just grabbed the brim and squeeze it down every single time <laughs> and then he'd look at himself in the mirror decide that the hat wasn't for him and then put the hat back on the shelf unpurchased now really <laughs> that's just what he would do every single time i got some hot sauce here oh my very on brand i like that i think it's uh it's a cool little mascot isn't it the whole chili piper thing such a great example right when it comes to to gifting yeah some very on point swag oh it's nice fabric too kevin i don't know if i'm crazy about the back of it <laughs> i can't see myself walking around <laughs> with spicy 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 pretty spicy mate oh, actually you know what this is a big a great a great gift um my cousin's boyfriend uh his nickname is spicy so ah there you go Look, I'm sorry. Thank you, Chili Piper. That's lovely. It's really nice on the front. Feedback is maybe a couple of less spices on the back. Maybe just keep it a more, little more simple. A bit too spicy for George on the back. That's a bit too spicy for me. Uh, you know, I mean, with the, uh, the foods I've grown up with, my tolerance to spice is probably not quite where yours is, Kevin. I think the shirt might make an appearance on a future episode. <laughs> yeah, look, we can definitely wear the front on it. <laughs> I think the front's very cool. Wonderful. I'm excited to try Wonderful. this hot sauce. Well, our first sponsor. Thank you very much. Who's next, Kevin? Who else are we gonna? Who else are we gonna get to sponsor the B two B playbook? Do you think we maybe try and find another uh, lead routing software like Chili Piper? Put them against each other. And get them. Get them to throw something our way, or maybe something more complimentary would be the the right approach. Yeah, I think that's more us, George. Complimentary. We're always looking for the yeah. win-win-wins. Yeah. We are. We are. We are. Absolutely. And Kev, I will give Chili Piper a bit of a plug. We talk about them pretty often, actually, on the B2B playbooks. I don't know how much more of a plug that we need to give them, but we always talk about how great they are really as an example of enabling their employees to share their incredible knowledge which then generates so much interest for their product, for their brand, Chili Piper. And it's clearly worked on me because I can't stop crapping on about them. And they just completely have humanized their brand and what they do so well. Um, but just in case people don't know exactly what they do, they actually help you turn leads into meetings and then route those meetings to the right salesperson. And uh, one really cool thing that they do is once you actually submit a contact request, demo request, whatever it might be on someone's form. If you use Chili Piper, they have a form which allows you just like Calendly to select the time and date to book your demo request, whatever it might be right away. So you don't have to wait for sales to come back and contact you. And then they route that based on, um, I guess, what questions you've answered, how you're qualified to the correct sales rep, which is pretty cool. So that's Chili Piper. Check it out as our first unofficial sponsor and kev as i was saying last week was actually a very big week for us not just because we uh did get our first unofficial sponsor in chili piper but we actually also got our first complaint kevin oh 
Oh no, what what was the complaint about? Uh, I got a complaint from um, someone who listens to us all the time, and they were complaining that our last episode we described as a bonus episode, but he said it was just scheduled on the Monday morning as we always would do regardless. And he told me that bonus episodes are actually in, in addition to. So he felt like we robbed him <laughs> of content that he would have got otherwise. So um, feedback taken on, noted. And from now on, we won't call something a bonus episode unless it is, unless it is in addition to our regular Monday morning goodness that we drop, Kevin. Yeah, that's a very fair piece of feedback, and we do take that on board. Thank you, listener. Yes, Kevin, it was a little nitpicky, but helpful nonetheless. And that's what this season has been all about. And we've spoken for 30-plus episodes so far on not just being helpful, that's been the last 10 or so, but also about how about how our listeners can use our 5Bs framework to really implement a demand generation strategy in their business that leads to sustainable growth online for their companies. Kev, this episode, for the people who really couldn't be bothered going back and listening to each episode on Be Helpful, although we really encourage you to do it because each one is not just like an airy-fairy discussion. We literally show you step-by-step how to be helpful. Kev, I think we should go through and just do a bit of a recap of what we really took out of this season of being helpful and what some of the most actionable points were for our listeners and give them a bit of a too long, didn't listen episode. So if they can't be bothered going back and listening to the same last 10, let's talk about what was most impactful from this season. Yeah, hopefully this episode acts for our listeners as a bit of a guidepost. If you have missed some or all of our last 10 episodes, you can listen to this episode to get an idea of where to go first Uh, to pick out the topics that you're most interested in before you dig into the rest. All right, Kev, I'm going to kick off things by saying, well, what does be helpful even mean? It's the name of the whole season. Kevin, I think it means deeply understanding your customers, talking to them to understand what their pain points are, and then helping them to solve it. I think really that's a much easier way for our listeners to think about you know, when people start talking about demand generation, demand generation, (laughs) however you like to pronounce it. It really comes down to this idea that we talk very simply in the five Bs framework as be helpful. Um, you know, we in in the be ready stage, we got to know our customers really deeply. We're continuing to develop their understanding of our customers by talking to them ongoing about the content we then put out there. If it's hitting their pain points, if it's resonating with your target audience, and then utilizing that to keep being helpful to your audience. And that's what being helpful is all about, helping them solve pain points by talking to them to figure out what the pain points are and then producing content or in some ways being helpful to your target audience and then iterating that process over and over again. So you get more and more honed in and more and more helpful. Yeah, Kevin, I think what it comes down to is marketing in its most simple form, particularly B2B marketing, is all about building relationships. People buy from people that they trust. We say that digital marketing is really creating relationships at scale. And we found that Be Helpful is the way to do that at scale. And it's not just us who have found that. It's the great advertisers throughout the last hundred years have all found that being helpful is the way to do it. 
we discussed last week that the uh, Ogilvy in advertising book that I'm reading, Ogilvy, one of the most famous marketers that everyone thinks about for being a creative genius and heralds him as a creative genius. He just says the number one key to great marketing, even great print advertising, is being helpful. And that's why he'd spend heaps of money in print advertising uh, publishing a how to get stains out of your t-shirt for a um, dishwashing liquid company. I think beyond that, Kev, at like a more human level, the reason why I think being helpful works is ultimately our listeners need to remember that whenever you're asking someone to buy your product or your service, you're actually asking them to change the status quo of what they're currently doing. In the B2C world, you're generally buying a product and it's for yourself. Yes, B2C is largely about status and either improving your status or by buying a certain product. I mean, that's why we buy nice, fancy cars is because we want to be perceived um, as better and increase our social status. But in the B2B world, every decision that you make actually subjects you to some kind of criticism or scrutiny by your boss, your stakeholders, your colleagues. And Alyssa's need to remember that, that if someone hires you or buys you your product, your potential customer is opening themselves up to that. They could just keep the status quo the same. They existed before without your product. And so in order to get them to buy your product, you first have to get them to trust you. And that's what your brand is. It's building that trust between yourself and the end customer. If they trust you, then that jump to employing your services or buying your product becomes much easier for them. The marketer's job, our listener's job, is to deeply understand the customer, deeply understand their pain point, what motivates them, and then help them to where they want to go. And helping people, that's what builds trust. And that's why it's such a crucial part of our 5Bs framework for implementing demand gen. I couldn't agree more with you, George, that that is why being helpful works. It's all about trust and building trust in our marketing as well. Think back, listeners, to why you trust your friends, your family. You know, you've built a relationship. You've built trust over time because you've been helping each other, them helping you, you helping them. And that's where the trust gets built. And so that over time, we know that we can rely on them. It's exactly the same principle when we come to doing marketing in a B2B sphere. We have to build trust with your potential customers so then they trust you and they're willing to change the status quo for you and your product and your business, the business that you work in. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Kev, I just want to take this quick opportunity to maybe call out some marketing practices that I see out there that actually aren't building trust. 
I think one of the first ones, Kevin, is when people run lead generation, when they ask for your contact details in exchange for a piece of information, and then you get a sales call like five minutes later, and then they keep calling you and calling you and calling you. To me, that is an abuse of trust. And this has just happened to me recently, right? I signed up for free trials with Zoom Info, with Clearbit, um, which are B2B tools. And my phone was called by them probably five times a day for weeks until I just emailed them saying, can you please stop? To me, Kevin, that that has betrayed my trust, right? I just wanted some helpful information that they had. Um, I can't remember exactly what the information was, but it was from them. I wasn't requesting a demo or anything and I got absolutely hounded and that betrayed my trust. It's kind of like just meeting someone, you know, out of the bar, you sort of become friends, maybe introduced through a mutual friend and then calling them up the next day and going, hey, by the way, um, I'm leaving to go to, you know, overseas tomorrow. Can you drive me to the airport? And you're like, whoa, <laughs> that is crazy. Like our relationship is not there. That is insane. That's an insane ask straight away. You need to build rapport. You need to put in the work way before you're going to ask me to do something like that. So that's one marketing practice, Kev, that I think people have to be really careful with. Another one I saw on LinkedIn today was um, someone was in the supermarket and the price of the product the recommended retail price of the product, I think it was a can of beans. It was 69 cents. And then underneath it, the supermarket had put like a big red and yellow sign and it says, as advertised, 69 cents. So it tried to make it look like a discount, but it was just the price. <laughs> it was just the price of that good itself. So they tried to make it look like it was on sale. And again, now that I know that, I don't trust that brand anymore i don't trust that supermarket like i just think that's really deceptive yeah that's all very good points george i think it does come back to this idea that even though we're working in marketing even though we're thinking about how we can influence our potential customers buying journeys we have to remind ourselves that we're dealing with people here where where maybe it's at scale maybe it's more than one-to-one but at the end of the day, you're still trying to build trust. And that is the foundation of any business transaction. They have to trust your brand. They have to trust whoever is communicating with them from the brand. So it's important to make sure that each touch point, each of those communications and the overall experience is in line with the trust that you want to build, the experience that you want to provide to your ultimate customers. All right, Kev. Well, that probably transitions nicely into my first question for you, which is, why do you love Be Helpful? Well, George, you know, I love a process. I love, <laughs> I love a, a framework, a, a, a set way of doing things that is repeatable, that is scalable. Part of how we've structured Be Helpful within our 5Bs framework gives people that uh, stability, that understanding, that framework to really level up the B2B marketing, understand what stage they're at with that process. And also to simplify this idea of demand generation of doing B2B marketing as a whole. This is a great way of great framework to start looking at how can I do the simple things right, do them in the right order in order to really accelerate my B2B marketing strategy. At a more fundamental level, being helpful is just a nice thing to do. You know, we always joke about um, being the nice guys pays off. You know, we always say 
being the nice guys in the long run is what works well and it just sits right with us and our and our personalities generally coincidentally it's also a very good way of doing b2b marketing and probably all marketing in general but specifically for b2b marketing where a lot of the buying journeys a lot of the relationships are developed over a much longer period of time than a b2c transaction so you need to build that trust and it just makes sense it makes sense that you have to build trust as we were saying and the best way to do that is being helpful uh, whether that's in your content or in how you interact with your dream customers and it comes down to that idea of helping others when they need to be helped and eventually they build that goodwill towards your brand your business and they'll naturally come and seek you out when they need your products and services i should have guessed that the process and us breaking it down into a process would be something that you loved. You are a big process guy. <laughs> and I do think it is an awesome thing uh, that we've done and got to share with our listeners is like the process of how you actually be helpful because without a process, you just, they're just words. You just like go and be helpful, but then how do you actually do it? And how do you do it in a way that people care about? And I think it's, it's cool that we've got to show our process, which we know works with people. I guess for me, Kevin, like I definitely agree with you that the process is a big part of why I've loved it. But I think also, I think I've told you before, Kevin, you know, dad, he wanted the doctor, but then he got a failed lawyer turned marketer. And (laughs) I I guess this is my way of still helping people. Sure, we're not saving lives out here, Kevin, but it's so nice to be able to tie together a business outcome with actually helping people. And I think that Be Helpful is really the foundation of very, very good, strong marketing. And that realization that you can be helpful, you can be a nice person, and you don't have to go out there and be really salesy and be a shark to actually do well and grow your business. That was a really cool realization for me. And then as I just mentioned before, Kevin, noting that this isn't something new, but something that the best advertisers, the best marketers have been doing for well over a hundred years. I think it reveals something very true about the concept and very true about humans. And that's what marketing really is, right? It's playing on the idea of building trust and helping people is an awesome way to do it. Yeah. And I mean, the way we're doing it, it, it does feel like we're taking that general advice of being helpful, as you said, and giving people a step-by-step of what they actually need to do to be helpful and to be helpful at scale and to build a system where it is actually scalable. So, you know, we mentioned before in this season about not being on the hamster wheel of producing content. Uh, So that's, that feeds into that idea of being able to do this at scale. And at the end of the day, George, I think it's just nice. It's nice. It makes our work here a lot nicer. It makes my day-to-day job a lot nicer when I think about Actually, what I'm doing is just being helpful to people. Uh, I'm not trying to be a full-on salesperson. I'm not trying to push things that people don't need. I'm actually just being helpful and there's plenty enough people who actually need what we're producing in terms of products and services so that if we're just helpful to those people and getting them the right product at the right time, the right services at the right time, there's actually no need to waste our time and energy being that salesperson, pushing it to people who don't need the product. And that's a great realization. And that's, uh, yeah, just makes every day that little bit nicer, less like work and more like you're just helping people. Again, Kevin, we're not saving lives. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're still not doctors, but uh, look, at least we're enjoying, at least we're enjoying what we're doing. That's it. 
All right, George, I've got a good one. We've put out a lot of helpful content this season and last season. What have we received the strongest response on? You're a lot closer to the response that we get from our audiences than myself. I'd love to get your take on what are the things that we're putting out there that people have really responded to, have really come back to us with a lot of feedback or any sort of reaction, really. Yeah, as you know, Kevin and our listeners know, we repurpose a lot of the podcast and I use a lot of the material from our podcast as posts on LinkedIn. And that's been a really good way for us to get qualitative feedback on what people are actually enjoying about our content, which is resonating, which are the biggest pain points. So Kevin, in terms of the strongest response, I would think that probably the episode that we've done around uh, getting experts internal to the business to help you create content has been a massive, massive pain point for a lot of our listeners because we talk about how vital it is that when you're actually in this be helpful stage and you need to create helpful content, well, you actually need experts to help you create that content. And unless you're a marketing business like an agency, then the marketer is probably not going to be someone who resides in the marketing department. We use that example that if you're a data consultancy, for example, it's probably the data analyst in the business that is actually going to be the one helping you create that expert content. Because yeah, you might be able to talk to, you know, on the surface level, some of the pain points of the of what your dream customer has or some of the solutions that you guys offer, but you can't get in the nitty gritty. That's not your job. And so we've spoken at length about the fact that people need to get buy-in from the experts in-house in the business to do that. And that's something that people have really struggled with. Wow, what an interesting uh, piece of insight about what's resonating with people. I certainly know that that's a pain point from, from my end, but I didn't realize it was such a big pain point. And that was really interesting for me to find out. I guess it's a good thing we did. We responded to that, obviously, and we, uh, we put out more helpful content in an extra episode just on that topic. But that's a really simple but great example of putting out helpful content and actually tailoring that to the response you get. Oh, that was nice and meta. I know you love going meta. <laughs> um, but Kev, it makes total sense, doesn't it, right? These experts, they already have a job. Creating content was never going to be part of their job. And so that's why last week's episode where we actually give people seven really practical tips on how they can get buy-in from their experts uh, is really, really useful and why we've got so much great feedback on that. And I had a lot of marketers message me going, oh, wow, this is actually really helpful. I've been dealing with this problem because they all know that that pain point of even probably trying to ask you know, an expert to co-host a webinar with someone and they're just like, meh, like too busy, I can't do it. <laughs> or ask them to elaborate on a certain topic and maybe write 500 words on it and they're like, I don't have time for this. And they're probably always getting that pushback. So Kev, that was definitely a massive pain point and one that hopefully we have really helped our listeners solve once they go through and implement what we suggested. Probably a second one related to that, Kevin, was the metrics for reporting on your helpful content strategy. Another really big pain point, I think, for our listeners is that whole idea of their boss, you know, emailing them or calling them in and going, hey, what's the like return on investment for all this content stuff you've been doing? All those LinkedIn posts, like, how are they going? Are we getting a lot of people seeing them? And I think that really hit a big pain point for our listeners because really the answer there is if you 
set your boss up to believe and look for certain metrics which actually don't align with what you should be seeing from a demand generation and from a good content strategy, then you're setting yourself up for failure. And you're going to find those conversations with your boss extremely difficult because your boss is asking, why don't we have more views on our LinkedIn posts? Why don't we have more followers? How come we don't have in our CRM when I look at it, people clicking from the LinkedIn page and then buying our product or service? Why can't I see that? And that's because there's a fundamental misalignment between your strategy, what you should be seeing, and what your boss is looking at. And so I think that the metrics that we told our listeners to look at and what they should be looking at in the first year of a helpful content strategy was really useful for them. Yeah, that's a great point, George. Um, And another very interesting insight. I guess we can always throw the line Uh, tell your boss about dark social and that will probably solve most of those discussions Um, but yeah definitely that's a very um, uh, that that is one that makes a lot of sense to me obviously with uh, a lot of uh, marketing departments bosses they're used to seeing metrics they're used to seeing numbers tied to revenue tied to the bottom line and so so to start shifting some of those expectations towards a more demand gen based, being helpful strategy uh, in terms of your content, you know, the obviously the results that you should expect coming out of that activity will shift as well. And it does take time, as we've been saying throughout the season. Some of this stuff doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to set up and build the groundwork and get the authority, get the trust over time. Then a lot of that snowballs and you start seeing Uh, those metrics those results that you're more traditionally focused on flowing through it's more of a symptom rather than the cause and you know that that graph that curve of those metrics going up it's going to be pretty different to a linear line up into the right corner uh, of the graph it's more going to be a curve so yeah hopefully our listeners were able to get some value uh, out of our episodes this season around metrics for reporting and how to do that reporting over time and what to expect over time as you implement some of the things we're talking about so that those conversations with your bosses with other stakeholders in the business is a bit easier yeah i mean and remember that listeners it's not your boss's fault they're working off either old information or new information that's being put out about what they should be looking for when it comes to this strategy. And that information is probably outdated or written by someone who it's their job to write about marketing topics, but don't actually do it themselves and aren't actually running demand strategy programs for themselves or for other businesses. So there's definitely that re-education piece and make sure you take the time to explain to your boss the metrics that he should be looking at or she should be looking at and why that is the case. Oh, George, throwing a few punches there, but you do make very good points. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're all learning and demand gen isn't something that's been set in stone for a very long time. Although it is, as George has alluded to, a reskin in a lot of ways of old uh, marketing truths that have stood the test of time. Uh, But in this new digital age that we're living in, we do need to adapt some of those learnings from the past into a digital environment. So that does take time for everyone involved, your bosses, yourselves included, listeners, to get on the same page, to understand what that looks like in the digital space, 
in the Be Helpful content world. All right, George, I'm gonna throw another question at you that I'm sure our listeners might be interested if they run any sort of podcast or (laughs) happen to be nerds like us on the audio front. Which episode do we have the most downloads from? And before I answer that, Kevin, I will just say that you and I hit a little milestone for the B2B player book in that we hit over a thousand downloads for the first time uh, across our first 29 episodes, which was pretty cool. I mean, like it's, it's not enormous numbers, but um, I'm in a few B2B marketing communities and a few different podcasting communities. And a key way people get their podcast to grow is they always get guests on because those guests bring with them their own audiences, their own listeners that grow a lot faster. But what ends up happening is you have a whole lot of podcasts with the same guests just rotating around and around. They get asked mm. the same questions, the same topics. And Kev, you and I made a really conscious decision to not do that. And we would be okay with lower podcast growth if it meant that we could get our strategy across to our listeners, like that was always our number one objective is getting our strategy across. And what it's meant is, yes, we've had probably fewer listeners than some of the other podcasts out there, but much stickier listeners. Our listeners are loyal. They turn up to every podcast and they listen to every single one. And I think they're probably listening to really to the end as well, which I think is pretty cool, Kevin. Yeah, that's such a great achievement for us. Uh, We're so excited to hit 1,000 downloads. And as George said there, what's more important for us isn't that total download number. It is actually how sticky our listeners are, how much the value they're actually getting out of it because it is a measure of the value they're getting out of our episodes. Uh, Hopefully, we are really helping a handful of people along with the content that we're pushing out. We always prefer that over a bunch of listeners who maybe only take a few episodes and don't get a lot out of it because then we're not really developing our content in the right way and really hitting that goal of helping people in a really tangible way with the content that we put out there so again as george said there we're we're so grateful for how sticky our listeners are um it's such a great compliment to us um we're so proud that that is the case because it does show that our content is heading in the right direction. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of grounds to grow, uh, which is always exciting. Lots of um, other things we can do with our content to make it even more sticky. So to another thousand downloads, George. <laughs> That's it, Kev. And Kevin, if I was pulled into my hypothetical boss's office and the boss asked me, George, what's the ROI on this podcast that we've been doing for 29 episodes now? <laughs> I would be able to, because the boss might say, look, a thousand downloads, that's not doing much, is it? I would point to the increase in website traffic to the B2B playbook. I would point to the fact that our podcast gives us a ridiculous amount of content every day to post on LinkedIn, articles to post. Uh, It gives us video content for LinkedIn. We're now on TikTok with it as well. And that has also resulted in us building a really strong brand around who we are and what we do. And we demonstrate that each and every day. And at the end of the day, Kev, it's also resulted in a lot of inquiries about our own services, both as an agency and for our own strategy development program. And that's all 100% inbound. We've never reached out. There's no sales center here. It's all just inbound and we're really just beginning. So that's the ROI 
that's that's how demand generation works and we're going to stick at this for a very long time and the effects are just going to keep compounding and compounding and we're going to look back and go wow we are glad that we invested in demand generation (laughs) and a big core pillar of that is this podcast yeah and what is really a very tangible roi for myself personally is looking at all the great feedback that um, we're getting from our listeners uh, obviously the the great feedback that we're so grateful for of our listeners finding some of the things we're saying very helpful and they're able to action different things to to drive the results of their own which is really all we set out to do when we started the podcast isn't it George um, all, all the other things a lot of it is ancillary uh, you know the inquiries the discussions off the back of of the podcast of what else we could do. Um, but we did start out to, to be helpful to put out that framework so that more people in the B2B marketing space can have that framework they can use to start accelerating their own careers, their own strategies and their own, their own businesses and the businesses that they work in. So it's great to see that happening. Kevin, I just realized I didn't actually answer your question. I'm sorry. I didn't actually answer your question. The answer to your question, which episode do we have the most downloads from? It's episode number 23, which is step two of how to be helpful. And it's called how to pick the format and channel to distribute your content. Now, why do you reckon that was the most popular one? I mean, that came after step one, which was um, how to create content that your dream customers actually light and cuts through the noise. That was where we actually showed our listeners how to craft a message and make sure that it gets cut through with that particular content that you're creating. And then the second episode was really about picking the format and the channel to distribute it. Why do you reckon that was so popular, Kevin? Well, that's a very interesting one. Uh, my best guess would be that you know by title alone, that would be the most practical sounding episode. That sounds like the one with the most practical tips uh, potentially the most practical frameworks. And it's obviously some sort of a, a pain point on an issue that everyone in the B2B marketing space comes across. You know, it is hard. We have a limited number or we think we have a limited number of channels to promote our content on, to promote our B2B business on. And yeah, that's just a, a great episode, I think, where we talk about how we look at the different channels and where they fit in and what sort of format your content should should come in to really speak to your dream customers, your target audience on each of those different channels and which ones to pick and prioritize. As we know, George, there's a plethora of channels out there for the modern day marketer to pick from just in the digital sphere alone, not to mention offline at all. Um, so it's always good to have a framework, you know, a lot of frameworks, a framework for our listeners to grab onto and to work through to prioritize basically where their efforts should go. So definitely a, a, a good episode, but yeah, what I think is probably the reason why that's attracting a lot of downloads is because on the face of it, it's a eminently practical episode of a very common problem and hopefully it hits that pain point. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Kevin. I think it probably is hitting that pain point um, where people are wondering, I mean, particularly with the time of year, we're in March now, it's still relatively early. People probably 
understanding that they want to put demand generation programs in place or at least a really solid content strategy in place. But the practicalities of doing that can be really hard because you know that it's going to take a lot of time and you know that your boss is going to be asking you about it and how it's going and its results. And so I think people probably saw that title and they were hoping that we'd tell Mm. them exactly what to do. And the reality is we give them a framework showing them exactly how they can do what is right for them. There is no silver bullet when it comes to this stuff, Kevin. There is no magic platform. There is no magic format, but there is a way of choosing what is right for you. And what is right for you is often what is right for your dream customers. And that's probably one of the really key takeaways from that episode. Don't just take that at what I've said then. We actually do give you a framework for working this out. So go back and listen to it. Episode number 23 it is. But yeah, I think that's the the crux of it, Kev, is um, what works for you is what works for your dream customers. Yeah, what a great point. And you're right, George, that was pretty early on in the year. So I imagine a lot of our listeners were doing a lot of planning at the time. So that was a very timely, very timely episode indeed. How about turning a little bit into our own opinions now? What do you think was the episode this season that you found was the most practical for our listeners? I'm going to be a little biased here, Kevin, and it's because I wrote the podcast notes for this episode, but it was the (laughs) one where we shared our own seven-step content repurposing framework and it's the Mm. framework that we used that takes the podcast notes turns it into a podcast turns it into the 14 linkedin posts a week that we do the eight videos we do the 10 tiktok videos we do and it's what allows us to do all of that in just about takes me about four and a half hours a week now kev and that includes the hour that um it takes us to record which which is pretty cool because um, that's definitely a massive pain point for people is trying to get off that content treadmill. People keep feeling like they need to create this original content all the time. And when you have really quite ephemeral platforms like TikTok and LinkedIn, that burden just becomes super overwhelming. But that realization that you just need a pillar piece of content and you can create that weekly or monthly and then you can chop that up and it's really easy to chop it up and that gives you so much material to post. That's pretty cool and really worth sharing. So that's why I thought that was probably the most practical episode, Kev. What about you? Just before we head into my pick of the bunch, I do think that was a great episode as well. Uh, particularly when when you think about, as George said, that it takes him three, four hours a week to do all that repurposing for the content for the week and combine that with what we talked about in the framework about outsourcing that work once you have the right processes and documentation in place to easily do that and to easily hire a freelancer or someone else into the team to do that for you very quickly and get them to hit the ground running when they join your team and join your little workforce of uh, content production. Uh, That's very powerful because you could end up doing a one-hour episode and then getting a freelancer to do two, three hours of repurposing. And there you go. There's your content for the week. That is a much more much more manageable, uh, bite-sized piece of content production for any one person or team to handle. Um, whereas previously, at least in our experience, we would take a lot longer in a week uh, to do that same amount of content. All right, George. My pick of the bunch for most practical episodes is actually episode 29, not that long ago. 
Um, that is the expert bonus or additional episode. Uh, perhaps we should change the naming after the feedback. But I think that was a very practical episode um, in particular because we got to doing that episode off the back of feedback from our listeners. It was something that we started seeing qualitative feedback on that said, hey, this is a pain point. You should talk about it more. And we did. And I have no doubt that it will be one of our more popular episodes over time. We do cover a lot of very practical tips about how to get your experts on board. And because it talks to such a strong pain point, it is going to be very practical for our listeners to implement a lot of those things and start getting the results that we hope they get from listening to our podcast. So that is probably the one episode that I would pick to, to be the most practical of the season. Yeah, you know I love talking about that episode, Kevin. I think that there's going to be a whole industry created around this issue personally, this idea that you need experts in your business helping you create helpful content. Like that, that is going to happen. And whether that is the rise of the, the new B2B influencer, Kevin, and actually bringing and hiring like an external person in your industry into the business part-time or full-time to help you create that content and be like a, almost like a, an evangelist for your category, but employed by your business. And then, you know, I guess that addresses that issue of people internally, the business being like, go away, George. Like, I don't have time to deal with your stuff. I have a whole other job to do. <laughs> or if it means, or even if it means like you do manage to get experts to get buy-in because your boss has recognized its importance. They've introduced it as a part of their KPIs you know, for that person's role. Now, all of a sudden that data analyst, like content production is part of their role, which would be incredible because the boss recognizes just how important that is. And then who knows, Kevin, maybe, you know, you could create an industry around making sure that whatever your content pillar is, if that data analyst is helping you produce a podcast or helping you write articles, maybe that data analyst gets trained up and how to be better on camera or how to be better on a podcast or how to write more catchy, informative articles. I think there's going to be, as I said, Kevin, just like a whole industry around this as it takes off. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening too. Uh, and again, I think that is going to be a very practical episode uh, and hopefully our listeners get value out of it and can help that industry kick off. Maybe looking forward a little for our listeners and a, a little meta for ourselves as well. What do you think is going to be the biggest challenges that we or our marketers will face when executing this be helpful content that we've talked about this season? I really think, Kevin, uh, be helpful really needs buy-in to work. It needs buying from the executives. It needs buy-in from your boss. So getting your boss to align on the right metrics so that program that you're working on, your content program doesn't get canceled, is going to be huge. And getting your boss to understand those metrics and why they're more important than the metrics that your boss has been trained to typically look for is going to be the key. Yeah, very nice. I think from my side, what I think is going to be a big pain point is, and I guess a big challenge in implementing helpful content is getting those insights about the, the actual pain points of your dream customers or your target audience. 
our own experience working agency side and not having any access to ultimate customers of our clients and then working in-house and facing similar internal access issues or I guess process issues in getting access to that insight on pain points for your dream customers has always been a prevalent issue and something we always keep in mind when we start our work that's really i guess the foundation of being helpful right it's it's probably goes back to be being ready a little bit but um it is very important pillar uh, to get right before you can really launch into the be helpful content make sure you're actually being helpful um, that is something we've experienced. Um, I'm pretty lucky at Metagy to have access to an outstanding UX research team who really gives us a lot of those insights as well as through customer success. Um, we're able to get those ex- insights. Um, but, you know, it's coming down to that point where, like Ryan says, I have to, we have to take action as part of the marketing team on that data to, to really leverage those pain points of our dream customers into helpful content to help our dream customers ultimately. So I see that as a, as a challenge as well um, for our listeners if they're not getting that access, if they're not getting that feedback to really hone in uh, with clarity on what pain points are for their dream customers. Uh, they might struggle with putting out content that is really being helpful but quite funnily and coincidentally something that i just realized you know we've talked about effectively the main challenges as managing internal and external stakeholders which uh, is really neither here nor there but often used phrases uh, in b2b businesses talking about internal external stakeholders i thought that was quite funny um but but yeah a good way to look at it as well um to understand that these are the challenges that face you, making sure you've got your internal team on board, making sure that you're talking right to your dream customers and people external to your business. I think one of the keys there, Kevin, is patience when it comes to getting inside about the pain points of your dream customers. Yes, you're going to be able to garner their pain points initially through your dream customer interviews that you did as part of the be ready stage. But when it comes to your content and your helpful content, it's going to take some time before you start getting that qualitative feedback, before people start sliding into your DMs and letting you know what they think about your content, before they start mentioning it to you in person or mentioning it to you in their contact form or even writing in the comments what they liked and what they didn't like. That all happens. But for the first three months, Kev, things are going to be pretty quiet and things turn around though. They do turn around and Once they start to turn around, the insights that you get is like this unstoppable train because people just start telling you what they want. It's how we decide what we should make more content on. You know, yeah, I go out and still actively talk to people and and ask them, but now they actually start to come to us and they let us know what they want to hear more about. And I've always said, Kev, that, you know, marketing is about building relationships and relationships is built on trust and the way you build that trust is by helping people and you can help people more and more if you have a tight feedback loop with them that's what being helpful allows you to do yeah a two-way conversation that's it you get that two-way conversation and if you have a better two-way conversation than your competitor you're going to be able to move faster and create relationships faster than your competitor yeah great great note to end on Hi, George. Another, maybe the last question, we'll end this episode here. Um, But the last question I have for you is, 
Which episodes do you think aren't overly catchy in title, but you still don't want people to miss? Oh, well, I think I just touched on it then, Kev, our one about creating a feedback loop. What episode was that? That was episode 25. And that was step four, how to create a feedback loop to make your content better and better. Look, I thought that title was okay, Kevin. I don't know why uh, (laughs) people might have glossed over it a little bit, Um, but it also might have been a reflection of the stage that our listeners are at in their content journey. They're probably still, you know, that earlier stage of pulling it all together, getting all the pieces moving, you know, getting in place their distribution strategy, their content creation strategy, and they probably haven't had a chance to think about creating that feedback loop. But it is a really great episode and one that I suggest people listen to, even if their content strategy isn't in full swing. Um, So I would say go and check that one out. What about you, Kev? Uh, Is there one you think that people might have glossed over a little bit and uh, is actually super handy and they should give it a listen? I think probably episode 28, where we talked about the five types of content you need to be creating uh, to be helpful. And actually what that comes down to is content for each of the five stages of awareness so that's a concept that we talked about in that episode that i think maybe gets overshadowed because it's yet another bonus episode but um uh, i guess a little less attractive and titled than the expert one uh, which we've already spoken about a little bit in this episode Um, But yeah, that five, that concept of five stages of awareness and the content to match each stage of awareness is a really powerful one. It's something that um, I myself at Menergy have been thinking a lot about lately and and how to tailor, you know, the activity we do to each stage of awareness. You know, we talk about this too, George, about the B2B playbook and where we'd like it to go and the sort of messaging we use at each stage of awareness to align better with pain points to get better cut through and to be more helpful at the end of the day for each stage, um, for each of those stages Mm. and where our listeners, our dream customers is at, at that particular stage of awareness. So episode 28, a great one that I think people shouldn't miss uh, because it really ties that and makes that link between helpful content and what your dream customer is looking like as they start to move through the stages of awareness. Yeah, it definitely brings more color to that overall process and picture of how to actually be helpful and how to do it practically. And so, Mm. as you said, Kevin, it details really at each stage of awareness what kind of helpful content you need to create. So uh, hopefully people don't view that episode as a bit of an afterthought. It is really crucial to the Be Ready strategy, and we definitely encourage people to go back and listen to episode 28. Great shout, Kev. I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the too long didn't listen wrap up of this season being helpful. As always, you can find links to everything we've discussed in the show notes. And with each passing week, we get more and more marketers tuning in to the B2B Playbook podcast. And for that, we are forever grateful. If we can ask one thing of our wonderful listeners is to please leave us a short review on whatever platform you're listening on. It's a big help to us. It really helps us in getting the word out about this great framework that we're trying to share with everybody. Thank you, Kev. And uh, look, hopefully that last episode, the one we just recorded, wasn't too long and we don't need a too long didn't listen for that episode again. (laughs) 
That was really fun doing it and really fun revisiting each of each of those episodes, um, which I think should hopefully be there for our listeners to listen to, you know, time and time again over a number of years. You know, that's how we design these episodes. It's a framework that people can go back and listen to, and it's been a lot of fun putting it together. So thank you, Kev, for your time. Thank you, listeners. Take care and looking forward to seeing you all next week again. Cheers, listeners. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. 